2: Jordan, now it shakes, Gray gets two! Gilmore on the Oh! Oh, brother! Toledo, artists, you get 21. 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann. With me as always is uh, Rich Kreich. And we have uh, Adam Cribbly joining us again to discuss uh, Bob Lanier. Uh, He was a center from 1971 to 84 with the Detroit Pistons and Milwaukee Bucks. Um, looking at the some of the advanced stats overall, he is 49th in win shares, 48th in win shares per for 48. He is 18th in box support plus minus, and that's post 1974, so it doesn't count for three his first three years. And 47th in value of replacement player. Um, shockingly enough, he never made an all NBA team, which, which seems crazy to me. He was an eight time, uh, all-star, so certainly was considered one of the top tier, uh, big men of his time. He finished third in MVP voting in 1974 on, uh, looking at some of the other, uh, lists, uh, on the, uh, Bill Simmons pyramid, he is nine 92nd and in the slam magazine 500, he is 60 uh, second. Uh, all the time. Uh, he has five seasons in the top 10 in win chairs for 48. Uh, he has four seasons in uh, top 10 in value replacement player. We don't normally look at this because this number sometimes is a little problematic, but I just thought it was interesting because of how high he is. Nine seasons where he's in the top 10 in PER. So, um, it, you know, the kind of the, the negatives for him is that his teams, particularly the Pistons, didn't have much playoff success. Uh, he had a lot of injuries, especially later in his career, which kind of limited his uh, limited his ability to stay on the floor. But he was just a a, a great inside outside scorer, a prolific defender, just a, you know really great big man um, for his time. Um, so, Adam, uh, what do you think of Bob Lanier's case for the top fifty? You know, I I love Bob Lanier. Um,
3: l- looking back, he's been one of one of the the hidden gems from the seventies. That unless you're a Pistons fan. Uh, or I guess maybe an, an early 80s bucks fan you just don't know much about Lanier. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because his career is overshadowed you know by the by the cream abdul jabbaras he, he's not an all uh, all nba first team or second team and his pistons teams were with the exception of maybe a season or two they were pretty much you know god awful horrible and so uh has been a lot of fun to to kind of get to to watch and and look at he had a couple a different careers almost uh early in his career he was he was quick and he could run up and down court and he could finish and he could dribble, you know, uh, handle the ball in the break. And then by the end of his career, you know, if you watch his days from the Bucks, uh he reminded me a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of a a mid-80s, late 80s uh Sam Perkins. You know, he had that kind of smooth lefty jumper and could get people in the air and drive by and you know, score near the rim, but early in his career, he was a really good athlete uh before some knee injuries and stuff. So, watching him evolve in his career and then Emerge as kind of this um, cornerstone of some really good '80s, you know, early '80s Bucks team has been really, really fun to kind of figure out that that transition and also to 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 really figure out how how good he was.
0: Yeah, that transition that you mentioned is really interesting. I mean, yeah, he really there is a stark difference between the two, and he just dealt with. I mean, he basically began his rookie season fresh from knee surgery. He later had seven more knee operations, and then um, he didn't play. Um, any more than 70 games for, uh, you know, basically the last 10 year, years of his career with one exception. So, you know, just was bad on the injuries that obviously slowed him down. Although he, as you mentioned, was still effective, you know, was still a, you know, had a strong role on some very good, um, bucks teams in the, uh, in the early eighties. And, um, he also, I mean, he had a great hook shot too. I mean, not quite the sky hook, but it, you know, it, it wasn't far behind. I mean, he just had, um, Watching him is really, really enjoyable. Um, A couple of things that don't really, that just kind of were notable to me, even though they don't necessarily have to do with top 50 cases. One, um, like there's, there's video of how like distraught he was when he found out he was being traded from the Pistons and they were like in the middle of like a, a 16 win season. They were about to, you know, I think they would be getting Isaiah in the next draft and, you know, transitioning to the, um, the the next team but you know the Pistons had been bad you know since the mid-50s um really since since they'd moved from Fort Wayne so you know for basically 25-30 years I mean they were uh, a bad team and he you know always gave it as all to try to win and just to see him like um just the feeling that he had of um you know just missing Detroit or just not feeling like he was able to deliver or whatever um made that happen just kind of stood out to me and also um my uh, my stepdad did uh, he, he worked uh, sound at Gund Arena for the, um, the 50 greatest player ceremony in uh, Cleveland. And he said that Bob Lanier was by far the nicest uh, player uh, that, that he dealt with in, um, in in all that time. So just a uh, just a small note about uh, Bob Lanier's uh, kindness.
2: Well, actually, you bring that up, Jason, and I, I think we might have seen the same video as well, because I, I saw the clip of him doing that. And then they also showed a clip, I think it was like an interview. Uh, it was like an inside Pistons. I forgot what exactly the, the thing was. Yeah. But uh, he actually was getting choked up talking about how he was so disappointed in himself and so disappointed in, his, in, in a lot of his like life you know, that that he wasn't able to do more with that Pistons team with, the, you know, with him and Dave being in the 70s Pistons. And like, you know, you said he's so emotional about what he feels like he let everybody down or like, I, I don't know his exact words, but he was just like, you know, he was like getting overcome and like they were doing this interview and he was just like, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm just disappointed. And I I just wish we could have done more. And I know we could have done more. We just never did. And it's, it's, it's a unique sort of approach. And it's, it's, you don't often get that with guys. I mean, you get guys sometimes that will say, yeah, that team that, you, you know, we should have done more about whatever, but he's like, still and this interview was not that long ago. And he was still just like, yeah, I, I really wish we would have done more. And, and really you look at those teams and you wonder how they don't do more. And that's kind of a question that comes up with Lanier. Not that I think it, it, I'm not usually one of those people that says, oh, well, let's let's look at why, you know, his teams weren't successful. It must have been because he wasn't, you know, a good enough star or whatever. But you look at those teams and it's like, man, they really should have been better than they were.
0: Yeah, they had like one strong year in 73, or I think 74 actually. Um, yeah, I, they were just kind of, kind of like a revolving door when it came to uh, players and um, – And and coaches and stuff. Um, Yeah, coaches were were in and out of there. Yeah, (laughs) like yearly basis. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. The the best they kind of did was in '74. They were 52 and 30, and they went to seven games against the uh, Bulls that season. And they made a few playoff appearances um, later on in the '70s, but just kind of kept. They actually made the second round in '76, but for the most part, uh, they would you know they they would lose pretty much in the first round. So um, and by '78, they were. Done they, they, the the seventy nine Dick Vitale led um, team, which um, which actually had uh, which had ML Carr and I think Chris Ford in it. Which is funny that like two guys who were you know not doing much with the Pistons ended up being like important players in the Celtics just a couple years later. So one of those weird uh, like uh, just one of those weird <laughs> like context context dependent things. I guess sort of like uh, Iman Jumper and Jared Smith being key players for the uh, the Bulls this year. I'm <laughs> assuming <for> the <laughs> Cavs this year.
2: Uh, real quickly uh, going over uh, some of his bad stats and then we'll talk a little bit more uh, about what we kind of think of him as a top 50 guy uh, comparisons to era and position uh, he's 5th all time uh, amongst his era and position in uh, points per 36 uh, 44th in rebounds per 36 18th in effective field goal percentage 6th in win shares per 48, 2nd in win shares and 2nd in value replacement player. so he definitely stands out, I mean obviously a lot of those number 2's, a lot of the 2nd places are all to Kareem I mean Kareem basically you know, outclasses him in a lot of ways as Kareem does to basically everybody that ever played the game so that's not uh, a big surprise uh overall though all time with his position he's 13th in points per 36 103rd in rebounds per 36 70 uh 72nd in effective field goal percentage uh 16th in win shares per 48 11th in win shares and then 8th in value replacement players so the uh the advanced stats do like him a lot uh, and a lot of it is the scoring but a lot of it is is the win shares as well on both ends of both offense and defense and and that's something we haven't really talked about yet is his defense was uh it was good yeah, he was a he was a really
3: good defender. Um, at least early in his career. I think later he suffered from the the uh, the knees and the mobility. He but couldn't jump.
2: Yeah, yeah not at all. It.
3: Uh, but you yeah. know he was able to push to kind of push Karima away from the hoop a little bit. And uh, you know, obviously Wilt Chamberlain and those guys gave him some trouble, and and so did the some of the 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 Dave Cowens type that could sit on the perimeter and force him from the rim. But he was, you know, to use kind of a modern term, he was he was a rim protector. He could defend defend around the rim. He could uh. You know could intimidate a little bit he also had this you know reputation as being a badass and so people didn't want to mess with him when they came in the came in the lane um i think he said he i read read in a sports illustrator article he gotten maybe one or two fights in his in his rookie year and then uh, no one messed with him anymore so he you know he had this reputation and people go into the lane and and i think would you know would, would maybe think twice before coming in there so so you make a great point i mean he was he was an offensive player but he was also a really good defender um you know, especially in a, in a time in kind of a golden age for NBA centers.
0: Yeah. And, um, yeah, some of the video, um, I I think just shows like you be him being such a young athletic shot blocker and just being able to, you know, cover the floor. And I, I mean, the, the advanced stats, you know, particularly the, um, you know, the, the box four plus minus, uh, does show, you know, does hint at a strong defensive value. Um, so I, I think personally that he probably has the best case to have been upset about not being on the original top 50
3: was he in that the um I know we were talking with the dantley that he was in the the dantley was in the next 10 was Lanier in that next 10 group
0: I'm pretty sure he was okay yeah, let me find out yeah sure. I, I'm something. almost positive he was yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm almost positive he was I got it right here um uh yeah if not, then we gotta storm the <laughs> yeah, I, I it's a clock, yeah, New yeah, Jersey. He um Oh I mean no, this is the next ten. Okay. Um this is good podcasting where we can uh, where we can uh <laughs> Well I think I you know while you're looking that up, I think
3: Lanier would be actually ben, would benefit too from the first couple seasons in the league. They didn't even count block shots. They didn't keep that as a s a statistic. Right, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when, uh, you know the first season it's kept he's third in the league in block shots and so you wonder and that's already you know his fourth year in the league when he'd already had i think five or six knee surgeries and you know so you wonder how many he's blocking in his first two or three years that even bump up that resume a little bit uh if kind of some of those statistics are taken into account the the blocks and steals
0: yeah yeah um uh, you know, I can't find her for whatever reason. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, well, I, I found that he was one of the voters, but that's all I can find. Yeah, so, uh, so. I, yeah, well, either way, he is definitely in that club, and um, and yeah, i I think he he, it may be here, Dominique. I think probably the two that you would be like would probably have the best uh,
2: case uh, for. Quick question for for either one of you. We we saw we kind of talked about it at the beginning. It, what do you think hurts his resume the most, or at least hurts? His perception by a lot of people is it is it the fact that you know he he played in an era where there were so many other guys that were playing you know his position that were you know you got Kareem you got well you you have those sort of guys that are there you know it, at least in the beginning or the the tail end of their career that were just so good at it or do you think it was the fact that he played on bad Pistons teams and and even though he played on good Milwaukee teams it's still Detroit and Milwaukee you know what I mean like it's still these very small market teams at that point uh Detroit hadn't really had the renaissance yet uh, Milwaukee had is still kind of the forgotten team of the eighties. Do you think that affects it or do you think it's more that or, or is it neither? I I don't know. I kind of think it's a little bit of both, but I don't know which is more strongly. I, I would assume it's more the positions of like playing next to Kareem and those sort of guys and not quite being as good as them, which is not really, you know, something to be mad at, but
0: Yeah, I mean I would think I, I, I would think it's probably just a combination of not quite you know uh, of of just because there's just two or three centers just ahead of him during his time that he didn't really get those all nba recognitions and um and probably even more importantly that he didn't play for you know a power team for the most part in his career never made the finals um and just you know um and even when he was on the good team, when he was with those Bucks teams, he had a small role in, in those teams. I mean, he was still he was important, but he was not the star anymore. So um, I, I would guess that would have more the, the most to do with it.
3: I, I agree. I think it's the fact that his teams weren't weren't real good. Um, I think he, he suffered by comparison to the to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's. You know, he came out. He was the first mm-hmm. pick the year after Kareem. And so I think there was that expectation that he would do for the Pistons what Kareem did for the Bucks and you know Kareem's second year in the league and he's he's lifting a trophy and uh Lanier second year in the league and the Pistons are out of the playoff contention by February so i think that uh that he he suffers but i think it's i would i would agree it's it's a lot of it's predicated on that team failure yeah for sure so
0: um anyone have anything else
3: yeah i have i have one thing i was i was kicking around i was looking at some of these similarity scores on basketball reference <laughs> And the one i the one that I kind of let my eyes went to was Patrick Ewing, and I think that there's a lot of a lot of similarities I didn't you know look at the advanced stats or anything, but kind of the way that they played a little bit, some of their teams you know that Ewing never wins a ring, Lanier what never wins a ring and I, Ewing's uh, I would say Ewing's Knicks teams in the nineties are better than than Lanier's uh, Pistons teams in the seventies, but I think that there's a comparison there that they're kind of both players suffer by comparison you know Ewing is is regarded as probably the third best of the the elijah one, um robinson you know ewing trio and, and lanier kind of maybe the third best of the abdul jabbar cowens wilt chamberlain whatever you know he's kind of always the third or fourth best in the league and i think that there's a there's something to be something to that comparison that that uh that ewing and, and lanier kind of have these very similar career arcs um although lanier didn't you know get traded to Somewhere and you know embarrass himself like Ewing with the with the magic, but <laughs> um, other other than that, there's a pretty similar co- uh, career arc, I think. Yeah, uh,
0: and I think the style that they played, I think also, and the, the, they did have similar strengths and, and and skills. Um, I, I, that's a good point. I was actually going to bring that up too, so I'm glad that you did. And um, I I do think that um, yeah, and and Ewing's obviously benefits a little bit from being um in New York. Uh, um, although maybe the, the other side of that is that um. Neura gave him expectations that, that were hard for, that would have been basically impossible for anybody to meet, especially when they're playing against Michael Jordan. Right. <laughs> right so. You know,
3: I also love the, uh, so Lanier also gets the dubious distinction of winning the first, uh, NBA's first and I think one of only two one on one contests.
2: Yes. And I, I was trying to find it, video
3: of that. I kept I, seeing like yeah, stories about it. Is there a video YouTube. of that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I tried to find it, I could
2: I saw, not find uh, it Yeah,
3: I I, I, just, right. I think you have to just search Lanier versus JoJo White, because it's those two Okay, because that's the, the matchup, matchup I was looking for, yeah, that, I couldn't
2: find it Damn it,
3: <laughs> that sounds like the greatest thing ever It's horrible, because you know, uh, there's this <laughs> whole tournament and uh, they're trying to crown the best player and the tournament itself is kind of a farce because a bunch of the, you know, the, the Jerry West and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar, you know, they don't even play, uh, Pete Maravich got knocked out by Lanier in the first round and so <laughs> If you look at the, I don't know why they seated them that way, but you know if you watch this last game, it's the most god awful basketball in the world. It's it's like a you know an adult playing a kid because you got six eleven Lanier and I think JoJo White's like six three, and so every <laughs> they're
2: right, so just backing him down and just,
3: like... <laughs> just backs him in and then a short little turnaround or a layup and then JoJo has to shoot a twenty footer which only counts as you know a point. Um, and so I mean the game, it's it's god awful and the the fans are kind of half heartedly cheering and then uh. When Lanier won his won the tournament, um, Bob or, uh, Bill Russell delivered him his prize, which was a gym bag full of dollar bills, and it kind of reminded you know <laughs> the, uh, the the wrestling comparison. Obviously, is you know Andre the Giant getting you know winning the body slam challenge, and uh, he gave you know the the Bill Russell gives him this this duffel bag, and it's all one dollar bills because it's a one on one tournament. So he's got fifteen thousand dollars in singles. Um, to uh, as, as his prize, so yeah, this the, isn't
2: real. This is not real. You're making this up. There's no off, way this
3: is Completely real, and that's and you know, <laughs> Russell's cackling the whole time, is only Bill Russell can do, you know, handing over this duffel bag full of cash. And now, the only thing that would have made it better, of course, if Lanier goes into the, the crown, starts throwing up the dollar bills, and uh, Bobby Heenan runs out and grabs the <laughs> yes, that, full circle. Yeah, exactly. So, no, that's that's priceless. You have to find that.
0: Um. So I found um, I found the next 10 greatest players. So um, so Lanier is not on there. It's it was done in 2006. So it's it's Kobe, Duncan, Garnett, Connie Hawkins, Iverson, Kidd, Bob McAdoo, Reggie Miller, Gary Payton and Dominique. So for the record. See, I think I think, uh, I think Lanier makes it over Hawkins agreed yeah i mean you know if you want to if you want to kind of consider the you know the issues with hawkins being blacklisted and you know and you know not being able to be chosen you know being out of the league for several years because of that you know i'll i'll give you that but um but yeah i i, I think i i would have picked i, I definitely think Lanier would in my top 60 he might make my top, my, our top 50 who knows it's it's close i, I another one where um uh, you know, another one where, you know, again, just be, be behind so many great guys. But, I mean, the numbers do look really good. I mean, that's that's, that's a helpful thing. And, you know, the anecdotal evidence suggests that, um, you know, he was a pretty great player. So it, it, he, he's definitely one I would strongly consider. Great, Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, uh, everyone, for uh, checking us out. And you can um, – we're at harvardparoxysm.com and you can find us and all the other great um, uh, Harvard Paroxysm uh, Network uh, podcasts. Um, you can find them there on iTunes. Um, we also have a uh, pod center where you can uh, you can play any of them that you want to and um, you can find us uh, also at overandbacknba.com our forums where you could chat about any of these top 50 players that we are uh, talking about and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at OverandBackNBA. So Uh, Until next time, thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses
1: a beat. Call quitgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.